Good morning and happy Sabbath. The title of the message uh, this morning is the three, the third angel's message in verity. How many of you what verity means? What does it mean? It means truth, right? It means truth. It's the very true thing. So what is the third angel's message in truth, in the very third angel's message? The third angel's message in verity. What is it? Does anyone have an answer? Any guess? <laughs> okay, true education. Um, God has given Seventh-day Adventists a very special message, right? That's three angels' messages, and we are to know what that message is. Now, what is the third angel's message in verity? Yes. Keeping the commandments of God and having the faith of Jesus. Very, very close and very, uh, very good answer. I want to read a uh, quotation that's found in Review and Herald, April 1st, 1890. And the prophet of the Lord actually tells us uh, what it is. I want you to listen carefully, and this is what he says. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. What is the third angel's message in verity? Justification by faith. Now, you may be wondering why is justification by faith is the third angel's message. But as we uh, continue our study this morning, you will clearly see why uh, she made such a statement. Before I begin this message, this message is very, very important. And I almost tremble as I share this message because this has to do directly with our salvation. Uh, this is not just a practical godliness, just a nice thing to apply to our lives, but this is something that has to do with our salvation itself. That's why I tremble and I kneel before God so many times whenever I have to present this message because I want this message to be so clear, so clearly presented that there will be no doubts in our minds. Now, Is it possible that a single idea or a concept that we have can affect our thoughts and our actions? It's possible, right? Especially uh, our concept or idea of salvation has a direct relationship with how we think as a Christian, how we act and how we live our life, and also how we relate to others and how we form our character and ultimately, it affects our destiny. Am I not true? So it's very important for us to correctly understand what truly saves us. If anyone to come today and ask you, 
What really saves me? How can I be saved? What will be your answer? Do you have a very clear concept of salvation? Or do you not have a clear concept of salvation? Because uh, this idea of how we are saved has influence in everything that we do. Our thoughts, our actions, how we relate to others, how we even see others, and also our character and our uh, destiny. A friend of mine asked me a few days ago, uh, Sung-hoon, are we converted first before we can keep God's commandments? Or we have to keep God's commandment in order for us to be converted? Very good question, isn't it? Have you ever asked that question? And of course, I gave him the answer. Uh, we must be converted, we must be born again before we can do the righteousness. And he asked me, then is it possible, you are saying that it's possible for us to be converted when we are not keeping God's commandments? This is his question. So let me ask you this question. How are we saved? And what truly justifies us? And how can we obtain the righteousness of God? And this morning, we're going to get that answer from the Bible itself. Because I'm not here to present my ideas, what I think about salvation. We are here to study the Word of God and what God has to say. And before we... Uh, begin, I want to read one more quotation that's found in uh, the Spirit of Prophecy, Faith and Works, page 18. And when I read this, it really shook me, and it really affected me in all my sermons, all my presentation that I do, uh, because it really, really uh, has taught me a very important lesson. This is what the servant of the Lord says. The danger has been presented to me again and again of entertaining as a people false ideas of justification by faith. I have been shown for years that Satan would work in a very special manner to confuse the mind on this point. What is the point? Justification by faith. How we are saved. Satan, if there's one area Satan tries to confuse our mind, this is the area. And as I go throughout different churches and present this message, I'm very shocked to realize that not many people really truly understand how we are saved. And therefore, in our action, how we relate to others, uh, we are not truly representing Christ because we do not have the true idea of salvation. And then she continued to say, The law of God has been largely dwelt upon and has been presented to congregations almost as destitute of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his relation to the law as was the offering of Cain. Isn't that shocking? I mean, especially as the Seventh-day Adventists if there's one topic we really focus on, even in our evangelistic series, what is that? It's the law of God, right? Ten commandments and the fourth commandments. And here is the servant of the Lord said, there is one point that's really been attacked upon. And if that is, that one area is justification by faith, and 
I have been, sure, I have been shown by the Lord that the law of God has been dwelt upon and has been presented to congregation almost as destitute of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and its right relationship to the law of God. And then she says, I have been shown that many have been kept from the faith because of the mixed, confused idea of salvation. If there is not the reason why not so many people are coming in to flock into Seventh-day Adventists, the prophet of the Lord tells us, because we as a gospel people do not have the right idea of salvation. And then she ends that quotation with this very uh, shocking statement. There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own beset good works. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Even keeping God's commandments, that's not what saves us. Even the four commandments is not saving us. Just, just because you keep Sabbath and come to this church, does not save you. And as we continue this study, uh, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to truly uh, prepare our hearts for this message, because this is so solemn, so important. If we do not possess the right idea, it may affect our salvation. So let us uh, once again bow our heads to invite the Holy Spirit to teach us. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up your word and to learn the science of salvation that's so clearly revealed in your scripture, we want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and teach us as we have promised and also prepare our hearts so that our mind will be clear. And as we search through these scriptures that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts if there's anyone in this room that do not possess the right concept of salvation, help us to humble ourselves and truly realize the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And this is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, there's no, uh, no better book to study the topic of salvation than the book of Galatians. So I want, you, I want to see your Bible. Do you have Bible today? Uh, we'll be looking at lots of scriptures today. I want you to really follow me because we don't have a lot of time. But I want, to, I want you to see from the Bible, not because what I say or what I think, but I want the Bible to speak for itself. So as we uh, study this topic, uh, we'll be looking at lots of different Bible texts, but uh, I want you to take your Bible and follow me through. Let me give you a brief background to understand the book of Galatians. Why did Paul write this book? Uh, if you remember, uh, after the crucifixion, before Jesus was ascended up to heaven, he gave the gospel commission to the disciples, right? And go out and spread this gospel to, uh, first of all, Jerusalem and all the Judea and Samaria and all the other parts of the world, right? 
with that commission, uh, there was a problem. The disciples who were uh, grew up as a Jews had a very strong mindset the gospel belonged to the Jews alone. So they had very hard time going out and actually even communicating and talking to the Gentiles because in their society and their uh, custom, just to go and talk to an unbeliever, they consider it as what? Unclean. Like when they touch somebody that's not, Christ, not a believer of God, they would go home and wash themselves seven times because they think they are defiled. So they have this false concept and even the disciples had very hard time carrying this gospel throughout the world. And over and over again, if you remember the story of Peter, God gave that vision, right? Of that all different creatures coming down and God was trying to teach him, look, uh, the gospel has to go to all the different parts of the world. God is no respect of person. Just because another person does not believe in God, that doesn't mean that uh, we cannot share the gospel. That's the very reason we have to share the gospel. So uh, there was conflict that's going on back and forth. And finally, God had to raise up a powerful, mighty, mighty apostle named Paul. Especially for this mission, right? So, and God anointed him as an apostle of the Gentiles. And with that miraculous conversion of Paul, he dedicated entire his life in preaching to the Gentiles and converting thousands of different uh, unbelievers into God's church. And God's church started to grow and grow and grow. The Holy Spirit really blessed and attended his work. And as the unbelievers from the Gentiles flocked into God's church, there was a problem. Uh, many issues that arose up. The major issue that came up is the issue of circumcision. See, the Jews believed that they had to be circumcised, right? And then that was a very sign that they were children and uh, the descendants of Abraham. And by so doing, they had the rights to inherit all the promises that God has made to Abraham, which is including the promise of Messiah as well. So everything, the eternal life and all the salvation and all the promise God has made to Israelites, uh, how did they know that they can have right to those inheritance? By circumcision. Now, the problem was, as Paul and other disciples goes to different Gentile world and convert all these Gentiles, they proclaim that they now believe in Jesus Christ, and they proclaim, and they, the Holy Spirit was manifest in their lives, right? And they see all these things, but they were not circumcised. So the, a lot of the Jewish leaders were telling the Gentiles, look, you have to be, gen you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And then there was a controversy between the leaders, and this controversy finds its climax in Acts chapter 15. So why don't you turn your Bible to Acts chapter 15. And that chapter is about the Jerusalem Council. So in this Jerusalem Council, uh, the major issue was, are we saved by circumcision or not? So... Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 15. Let's read verse 1. 
Are you there? All right, let's read together. One, two, three. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, I was wondering why some of these Christian Jewish leaders who were converted, they were so, you know, strong about this circumcision. Why was they all, why are they so fond of this circumcision and emphasize this circumcision? And as I was studying the historical background, and I wanted to understand what circumcision meant to the all Jewish people. And it really helped me to understand properly why they were emphasizing and what really they were trying to do by emphasizing circumcision. What does it really meant uh, for the Jewish people, Jewish mindset? What is the circumcision? According to uh, Life of Paul, uh, a Wise writing, excuse me, this is a historical writing, uh, Life of Paul, chapter 15, paragraph uh, 4, it says, so great is circumcision that but for the Holy One, blessed be He, would not have created the world but for circumcision. Heaven and earth could not exist but for circumcision. It is as great as all the other commandments. How great is circumcision since it is equivalent to all the commandments of the law. Do you see that? So for Jewish mind, when you talk about circumcision, right, it was the very sign, this was the very pinnacle of the sign that you are keeping every commandment that God has given to you. So if you are circumcised, you are saying what? I'm dedicated, I vow myself to keep and follow every single thing that God tells me to do so. So that is the true meaning of circumcision. Now if you understand that, you will understand the argument that's written in Galatians and what Paul is dealing with here. So when these Jewish teachers were coming to the uh, converted Gentiles and telling them you have to be circumcised, what are they saying is you have to keep everything that God has told us and everything that God has given to us in order for us to be saved. Now is it true? In order for us to be saved, do we have to follow everything that God has told us, all the commandments of God, every standard and principles? Just answer in your heart, and we'll continue, and I'll let the Bible answer for us. How about that? So turn your Bible and, well, while you are in that chapter, Acts chapter 15, notice verse 24. That's why uh, these false teachers were arguing with this argument. Notice verse 24. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, and what are these false teachers saying? Ye must be circumcised and what? Keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So that was their argument, right? We have to be circumcised and we have to keep everything that God tells us to do so 
in order to be saved. Now, let's see what the Bible says in Galatians. So the book of Galatians is written in this background to answer this argument and to clearly set forth the true gospel and how we are saved. Galatians, turn your Bible to the book of Galatians. And I'm going to point out four major arguments that Paul brings out in this book. The first argument is found in chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. If you are there, let's read that together. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Once again, the question is, the question in Galatians is not whether we should keep, which law should we keep? Is it moral law or the ceremony? That's not the question. That's not the argument. The whole argument is what saves us, period. What is the basis of salvation? What is the very essence of salvation? What saves us? So Paul is not dealing with the issue of whether is it important for us to keep this law or that law. He's not arguing about that. He's arguing against his false teaching that's saying we have to keep God's commandments, every one of them, to be saved. So just keep that in your mind. First answer that Paul gives is so powerful. See, Paul is, Paul is genius. He's an intellectual. I mean, he's an academic. His mind is just amazing. God is truly blessing him with a great mind. And he's a lawyer. He's a trained lawyer. So he thinks like a lawyer and he argues like a lawyer. And this is what he does in his book. He builds up his point. So he presents one point that no one can dispute. Okay, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if you agree with this, then he goes to the next point. Okay, if you agree with this, okay, that's fine. Next point, boom. And they're not locked up because they agree with the previous one. So, yeah, okay, that's true too. <laughs> then he goes on, boom, another one. Then based on, because they agreed two times, they cannot deny. If they deny, they have to throw away everything that they agreed. So, Okay, that's true too. Then finally he makes the conclusion. Therefore, boom, 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 boom. Then they are completely locked up. They cannot go anywhere. And they are so convinced. And let's look at his first argument. This is what he says. Who we are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. Powerful. See, he's talking to these Jewish converted Christian teachers who are having this false idea of salvation, right? First argument he says, then why did you become a Christian? Why did you even believe in Jesus Christ? If you can be justified and you can be saved by keeping God's law, Jews had every law under heaven that God has given to them, right? They had all the laws. And the, if the law can save you, if you can be saved by keeping those laws, then you don't need Christ. 
Why did you believe in Christ then? If the law could save you and justify you, then why did you become Christian? You don't need Christ. But very apt, but very point, the very fact that you have become Christ in order to be justified shows that law cannot justify you, period. That's a powerful argument. And now they are in a very difficult situation. If they say, well, the law can save us, then they are denying Christ, the need of Savior. And if they don't, now they are basically saying that, yes, law cannot save us. That's why I accepted Jesus Christ. It's a very good point, isn't it? All right, so let's continue and see what uh, Paul does in this argument. Chapter 3. This is the second argument that he brings out. Chapter 3, let's look at verse 2 through 5. Chapter 3, verse 2 through 5. Let's read together. 1, 2, 3. This only would I learn of you, receive either spirit of the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Second argument he brings out is this. Look, all these Gentiles, you witness the power of the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. And... These Gentiles became Christian through the gospel that I shared to them. Salvation in Christ alone. And if this gospel is wrong, then how could they receive the Holy Spirit? But not only that, in this argument, this is what it does. Um, in verse 2, This only would I learn of you, receive either spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And verse 3 reveals to us the secret of this false teacher's teaching. This was what they were really teaching, these false teachers. Are ye so foolish, having what? Begun in the spirit, are ye now what? Made perfect by the flesh. So these false teachers were basically teaching, well, you know, I'm not denying the need of Christ. See, we need to have Christ in order for us to have, uh, you know, re- forgiveness of our past sins and our slate had to be clean. We had to be all forgiven and through Christ and his sacrifice. So these false teachers were not denying Christ. But what they were really teaching was, uh, now they are begun in the spirit, but made perfect by the flesh. See, we are forgiven by Jesus Christ, so we have the clean state, slate to start, but from that time on, when we are uh, born again, now we are to do our works. Through our works, we are become perfect. We perfect our salvation through our works. So it's not just Jesus Christ alone, but Jesus Christ plus our works. That's what saves us. Now, this fatal deception is so prevalent among even Seventh-day Adventists. See, in our mind, it's not just Christ alone, but Christ, yes, in order for us to convert it, you know, to forgive our sins, we need Christ, but once I'm converted, now I need to prove myself, and I need to 
make this salvation perfect through my works. And we call that, falsely call that sanctification. Yeah, that's the sanctification of a lifetime. But Paul is saying, is that really true? Are we begun in the spirit but now made perfect by the flesh? I want you to think about that point. It's either Christ, Christ is either sufficient to save us, period, or he's not. If you say we need Christ plus something else, then you are saying Christ is not sufficient to become our savior. He is not our savior. He cannot save us. There gotta be him plus something else. And you wonder so many people have this false conception. You know, God saved me, but I gotta prove myself by my works. You know what happens that really affects us? We start to compare each other. Oh man, look at them. Oh man, they're not following the diet. You know, God taught me. Mm-mm. Man, you know, you know, they're not as spiritual as I am. Even though you verb, don't verbalize it, that's your attitude. You automatically put yourself above others. Because you have this false conception, it's not just Christ alone, but it's something, Christ plus my works, and my works are better than others, so I'm more spiritual. Amen. Uh, if somebody walks in this church, right, with all decked up and everything, you know, with torn jeans and everything, you know, we don't even go and sit near them. Why? Because, oh, man. Oh. That person needs Christ, you know. You need Christ. <laughs> all of us need Christ, period. So let's continue and see what Paul does in his argument. Once again, what is Paul dealing with here? What saves us? He's not dealing with, okay, is it important to keep God's law or not? That's not his argument. No one questioned that back in those days. But he's trying to argue, okay, what really saves us? What comes first in our experience? That's the argument that he's trying to bring out here. All right, the third point, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Let's read that verse together. 1, 2, 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth, not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Very interesting. The third argument that Paul brings out is this. Look. If you are trusting Christ plus your works, then this is what's happening. He says, if you are of the law, of the works of the law, you are still under the curse. And you ask why? And Paul gives the answer. Why? Because it is written, he's using the scripture, cursed is everyone that continueth not in what? All things which are written in the book of the law. So in other words, he's saying, look, if you are saying that we are saved by Christ plus works, if works is something that what saves us, there's no hope for you, period. You are under the curse forever. And you cannot get out of that person. There, we are most miserable of all people. We have no hope, period. We cannot be saved, period. There is no hope. It's impossibility. Why? Because the law requires that you have to continue in all things of the law of God in order for you to Possess the righteousness of the law of God. 
But if you sin once, just by thoughts and even motivation, just facial expression, right? Once in your life, just once. Whether you are, you know, you know 15 years old, 10 years old, when you're young, just once, just by the thought, you're done. See? You're done. You're, you're, you're doomed. There is nothing else you can do to reverse that. And the Bible says what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? And as a sinner, if we are to say it by the works of the Lord, there is no way that we can undo our sins and we'll be cursed forever. Do you see that? So if you are not, the law requires that you have to begin in the law everything that the law requires and you have to continue in the law. Then you have the righteousness and you will not die. But all of us have sinned and as a sinner, there is no way. There is no way that by keeping the law, now we can obtain the righteousness. Do you see that? So that's the third point that he's uh, bringing out in his argument. Uh, very, very, very strong. Now, just notice that text very carefully. It says, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, right? So anyone that tried to depend upon the law to obtain the righteousness or salvation is under the curse. But next part is very interesting. It says, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth what? Not in all things which are written. Now, if he said, if you trust in your work, you are cursed. Then the natural thing that he should say is, because the Bible says, cursed is the one that continueth in the works of the law, are cursed. But he doesn't say, but the Bible says, those who are cursed is those who are continuing not in the law of the law. See, if you began in the law of God and continued, like Adam and Eve, right? There could have never been any curse. But because we sinned against God, now by, the, by keeping up the law of God, for us, there's no way. Because law requires complete, perfect, 100% obedience all the time. And we lost that. We lost that chance. See, Adam and Eve, they could obtain the righteousness as if they continued in the works of the law, right? But they didn't, and we didn't. And for us as sinners, Paul is bringing this point out. As a sinner who have sinned once, but well, we have all sinned more than once. <laughs> There's no hope. We cannot, we no longer can obtain righteousness through the works of the law. Because law demands perfect, complete obedience. Now, let's look at the last point. But before I, yeah, let's go to the last point. It's found in the very next verse, verse 11. And this is the most powerful evidence that he brings out. Let's read that together, verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now he is quoting this scripture from where? From Habakkuk, right? <laughs> Habakkuk chapter uh, 2. Now so, final conclusion he is making is that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is very even. If this argument that I'm bringing, presenting is not clear, Paul says, there is the most powerful evidence here. The Bible says that we will be justified by what? Faith. Just shall live by 
faith, and that's conclusive, period. If you are doubting any of my arguments, Paul is saying, look, let me give you a scripture. The God himself said, Joshua, live by faith and not works. Is that enough for you? That's what he's saying. Now, I want you to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 3. With this in your minds, I want you to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 3. Let's look at verse 21 through 27. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 27. Let's read together, 1, 2, 3. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. See, with this works, with these false teachers, everything was of works. It was everything that they do, everything, right? The healthful diet, the Sabbath reform, the entertainment reform, all these principles and standards, Sabbath keeping, Ten Commandments keeping, everything is done in order to be saved. And with this man, we must perform these acts and follow these standards and do this, eat right and say the right thing and don't do this and don't do that in order to be justified or in order to be saved. And with Paul and Christ, no. Nothing, I mean, nothing that we do can save us. We try to keep God's commandment to the very T, right? That will not save you. You follow every single thing that's written in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, every single command that God gave you, that will not save you. You'll not be, you'll, be, you'll still be lost. Period. Isn't that what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ, right? You know, I've been keeping all these commandments, everything, you know. And can I be saved? And Jesus said, no, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And he was complete shock. It's like, I've been keeping everything. I mean, everything plus more. And just say, unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And you cannot born again when you do not realize how sinful and how helpless and miserable you are without Christ. See, there is no hope for anyone that's sitting here. 
There is no hope for anyone that's sitting here if it's not for Christ. If it's not for Christ, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You can be the healthiest vegan all your life. You can be the you know, most godly looking man preaching, you know, converting thousands of people, giving Bible studies every day. Every morning, 4 o'clock, you wake up and read your Bible, pray for three hours every day. No matter what you do, you'll be still lost. Because that's not what saves you. What truly saves us is Christ, Him alone. See, we were supposed to die because of our own sins. But He died for us. That's what saves us. And through His perfect obedience that law requires from the beginning to the end, continuing, which Jesus Christ proved Himself to do so by connecting Himself with the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit, that's the righteousness that can save us. Our own works, whatever you try to do, that's a filthy rag. It doesn't mean anything, period. Unless you accept Jesus Christ. Realizing, you know what? There's nothing I can do to save myself. Nothing, zero. I mean, I can eat right, dress right, and say things right, do things right. That's not what saves me. Do you truly understand that? Let's take that false concept out of our mind. Satan tries so hard to confuse our mind. And when we truly realize, you know what, there's nothing, zero, there's nothing that we do that can save me, then, only then, that we can realize how simple we are. There is no comparison. There is no more comparing me with others. Am I better than that person because I'm a vegan? You are <laughs> same sinner. You will be lost if it's not for Christ. Who cares if you are a vegan or a strictest, you know, temperate person unless you have Christ living in your heart. And many people, as they emphasize so much on the keeping the law of God, keeping Sabbath, you know, keeping doing things right, not doing these things and that thing, they focus so much on the outward things. And they try to do those outward things by, and they think by so doing and following those outward things and keeping God's commandment, coming to the church every week and doing you know, some good things here and there, and they think that's what saves them. So when they see somebody that's not like them, they automatically judge them, look down upon them. And they compare each other, they gossip. And that's what happens to us pride. See, this is our human nature. We cannot accept the fact that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's got to be something that I can do so I can compare. I can become better than others. So you remember what the Jewish nation did? They added to all the commandments of God and they made all different kinds of regulations more and more and more and more. To the point, they made the law of God the means of salvation. You know, by keeping this, we are saved. So when the Messiah came, they didn't need the Messiah. They crucified him. We have the law of God. Why do we need the Messiah? And that's one point that Jesus Christ and Apostle Paul was so trying hard to get across to uh, the Christians. And this is the very gospel that we need today. You know, um, 
with the false teachers. Men must work in order to be justified, but with Christ and Paul, we cannot even work and do the righteousness unless we are justified first, unless we are converted, unless God changes his heart, unless a new creature lives in our heart, unless we are made new, unless we are truly saved by his grace, we cannot even do the righteousness, period. First John tells us, he that doeth righteousness is what? Righteous. Only the righteous can do the righteousness. See, this is what we are trying to do. Many people try to do the righteousness to become righteous. But Bible says, no, you cannot be, you cannot even do the righteousness properly unless you are made righteous. And the only way we can be made righteous and this sinful man being converted into a completely new creature is through Christ and Christ alone. And unless that happens first, no matter what I do, I cannot do the righteousness. You know the closest thing I can do? is only do the outward things. So I have all the outward godliness. I can speak the right thing. I can eat the right thing. Outwardly, when you see, I can, that's the closest I can do. But when it comes to the inner things, the spirit of the law, the kindness, mercy, selflessness, humbleness, right? The Christ-like character. You cannot, you cannot do that. See, so through the works of the law, if you are trying to do the righteousness, in order to become righteous, you are striving for something that's impossible. And the closest thing you can do is just follow the, have the external form of godliness. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the all leaders of Jewish nations ended up with, right? And Jesus called them, look, you are like an open tomb, open grave. Outwardly, you are so nice, but inside you are completely dead. Why? Because they're trusting in the works of the law. But when we realize that there is nothing that I can do and humble our hearts, Lord, I am a sinner. Not just, just a, you know, not just, you know, what we say in, with our lips, but truly realize and feel in our heart, I am a sinner. I mean, who am I to compare me with others? We are all in the same boat. We all sinned. And there's nothing else that I can do to save ourselves. And only Christ, and if it were not for Christ, and he didn't even have to give his life for me, but he did. And that's what saves me. When we realize that, and when we come to the foot of the cross and surrender our hearts, that's when God changes us. That's when he makes us righteous. And when we are made righteous, that's the only way we can actually do the righteousness. Now, I want you to uh, turn your Bible. I'm going to... Uh, share two things before I end. Many people argue when you present the true meaning of salvation, true way of salvation, many people at this point argue then, then what, then what is the purpose of the law then? What's the purpose of the law then? Why did God even give us the law if we, did, we cannot become righteous by keeping God's commandments? Why did God even give us the commandments? 
Good question, isn't it? I see, in a lot of people's mind, in their mind, the only function of the law is so that by keeping we can obtain righteousness and be saved. So when we say that you cannot say by keeping God's law, period, then in their mind, then what to the purpose of the law? So you know what a lot of people does? They throw it away. They say, we don't need the law then. Because in their mind, the only function of the law is to save us and or give us righteousness by keeping those things. But see, God never gave us ten commandments and any laws, any command as a means of salvation. No, 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 no. But a lot of people have this false concept. Now let's see what the Bible says. What is the function of the law then? Turn your Bible to Galatians. In the same chapter, verse 19. Notice what Paul says. Wherefore then, serve at the law. So he's bringing this question. Okay, he made it so clear. We cannot be saved by the law, right? Then he raised this question. Then wherefore then, serve at the law. What is the function of the law? Notice what he says. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. And then he goes on. Now turn your Bible to Romans chapter 3. In another book, same author, and in this book he's dealing with the exact same uh, subject, what saves us. So he wrote two books just dealing with the theme of salvation. In Romans chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. What's the function of the law, according to Paul? Are you there? Romans chapter 3, verse 20. 1, 2, 3. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What is the function of the law? Show us what sin is. Why? So we can realize how sinful we are and how helpless we are. If there is no commandments pointing us what's right and wrong, we have no clue that we are sinners. You know how many people out there think they are a good person? I don't need God. I'm a very good person. But when you truly realize the spirit of the law, what God requires, it's like a mirror when you look at it. Man, I am a sinner. And look at chapter 7, verse 13. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Was then that which is good made that unto me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working that in me by that which is good. That sin, that sin by the commandment might become what? Exceeding sinful. That's the purpose of the law. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? So that when we look at the Ten Commandments, we realize, you know what? I need a Savior. I am doomed. I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm a dirty man. I need somebody. There is no hope except Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the law. And, but Jewish people made Ten Commandments as a means of salvation by keeping this. Let's follow these things so that we can be saved. Oh yeah, <laughs> keep the commandments and let's do this. Let's That's not why God gave us the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the 
second reason why God gave us the law. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3. And I know uh, I'm going a little over time, and I want to apologize for that, but uh, this is the only opportunity for me to preach to you. And uh, I really have a burden to share this message. So uh, do you mind if I go a little over time? <laughs> yes, I want to conclude, and I want this to be so clear that no one can mistake mistaken and we have the right concept and idea of the salvation so it will affect our thoughts, our life experience and our character and how we relate to others and our salvation as well. So let's look at the second function of the law. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 that's the uh, verse that we read and 20 and 21. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin, right? Let's read the next verse, 1, 2, 3. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The second function of the law is this. It's a witness. And what is witnessing? It says the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, and the law witnesses. See, when we are truly converted by Christ, and Christ lives in my heart, and he has completely made me a new creature. How do I know that this has taken place? Law is there to witness the righteousness that we obtain without the deeds of the law. And the law tells us, look, you are not trying to keep the commandments, but you have the righteousness of Christ in your heart. Now you are walking according to all these principles and all the commandments of God without the works of the law. And it witnesses that dramatic changes that happened in our lives as a standard of God's character. Two functions of the law. First, to teach us how sinful and helpless we are. And when we realize and come to the foot of the cross, realizing, Lord, there's nothing I can do to save myself. Can you please forgive my sins? I want to depend everything upon you. And when our pride is all gone, there's nothing to brag about, right? Like Paul said, no. Where is boasting? Nay. <laughs> there's nothing to boast about because there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And when we humble our hearts and accept Christ as our personal Savior, then God does a miracle. He changes our hearts. He lives in us. He dwells in us and causes us to do the righteousness. His righteousness now becomes ours because He now dwells in my heart because I've humbled myself and accepted Him as my Savior. And the law of God is sending the look. You are doing everything that's written in the Ten Commandments without the law. You have obtained the same righteousness that law requires without trying to do the work of the law. Because God has now changed your heart. And you delight to do His will. And the Bible says, First John, his commandments are no longer grievous. It's no longer a burden. Oh, I have to do this and do that to be right, become righteous. No. God makes you righteousness. He creates a new heart and new being. Have you? I want to ask this question to you this morning. And you don't have to verbally answer me, but you can answer in your heart. 
Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as a personal Savior? Do you realize, truly realize how sinful and helpless you are? Have you actually invited him into your heart? Does Christ live in you? And is it by witnessed by the law? See, many Christians, uh, in their mind, the only function of the law was to save them. And because of that false conception, when, you know, uh, it was so clear by Paul's preaching that law cannot save us, a lot of the churches out there, Baptists, Methodists, and Lutherans, they say, we don't need the law of God anymore. Why? Because in their mind, they thought by the only function of the law was to save us. Well, it's not. See, what happened? If you throw away the commandments of God, what happens to us? The very thing that prophet of the Lord told us that's going to happen. This is found This is found in the Spirit of Prophecy. First selected message is 2.29. They cannot understandingly call sinners to repentance, for they are unable to properly explain what they are to repent of. They threw away the commandments of God. They say, well, we no longer need the commandments of God. Right? And the question is then, um, the very function of the commandments of God was to show us how sinful we are by looking at it, and lead us to Christ. Well, it was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, to make us realize, you know, I need a savior, I'm a sinner. But they took away the law of God. We don't need to keep the law of God after the New Testament. Then people ask them, why are we sinners? I mean, and what, what are we violating? What, what makes us sinners? <laughs> they have no intelligent idea why they are sinners. They are not convicted. They have vague idea, yeah, you know, we are sinners, you know, we are born sinners. Uh, things like that, they say those things. But they do not realize how sinful, wicked they are because they took away that very mirror showing them how sinful they are and how much they need Christ. So Paul, was Paul throwing away the Ten Commandments? No. Was he teaching people, hey, we don't need, the, we don't need to keep God's command? No. He was putting everything in its right perspective. See, we establish the law now. More than before, we need the law of God. Why? Because it will show us how sinful we are and how much we need Christ. And when we have come to Christ, when we have that truly converted experience, now it will witness that righteousness we obtain without the deeds of the law. So we cannot take away the Ten Commandments. Now, as I end... I want you to turn your Bible to Galatians, and I'm going to show you something that is powerful and that summarizes everything that we've been studying. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. If you are there, let's read together. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Notice, this is what it says. In Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, right? Now, once again, circumcision stands for keeping all the commandments 
to be saved. So Paul is saying, look, all these works of the law to be saved, no, it avails nothing. That's not how we are saved. But notice what it says. Nor uncircumcision, nor not keeping God's commandments. He's, he's like, in order to be saved, we are not saved by trying to keep all these commandments. But he says, nor uncircumcision, nor by not keeping any commandments. Then watch the answer. He says why? Through faith, through faith which worketh by love. See, true faith works. It has to work. If you have that true faith in Christ and Christ lives in you, He works in you to do and to will the good works. There's no such thing as a faith that does not work. If you have a genuine true faith, it works. And how does it work? By love towards the Savior, right? Now compare this text that we just read with this last text uh, that's found in chapter 6, verse 12. Well, verse 13, chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, the same book, the next chapter. Compare the scripture we just read with this verse. Chapter 6, verse 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, right? But desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Next verse, let's read that together. 1, 2, 3. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. But a new creature. And that's the essence of the gospel. See, you are not saved by trying to keep God's commandments, trying to follow all these standards and you know, follow everything is written in the spirit of prophecy. That's not what saves you. No. Neither not following all those things, you'll still be lost. How can we be saved? By looking at all these things that God requires, realizing, you know what? I'm a sinner. There's no way I can do all those things. And when we humble ourselves and come to the foot of the cross, accept Christ's sacrifice, Christ has died for me. He has obtained the righteousness which I cannot. And He's willing to give that righteousness instead of my righteousness. And there's no place for boasting, there's no place for pride. There's no place for comparing with each other. We all come to the foot of the cross when we accept Christ. Our old man is dead. Christ lives in us. There's a new creature. When we are born again, we have that living faith that works by love. And we will do the righteousness because we are now righteous. We are made righteous through the power of the cross day by day. And the law of God now witnesses, look, something that was impossible for you to do, now you don't even, you don't, you don't just possess the outward godliness, but you ha also have the spirit of the law. See, it's